Hello, hello. It's Elizabeth Busby here, the Director of Programs for the Theology of the Body Institute. I am so excited that you're joining us once again for our brand new podcast situation that's on YouTube. Now you guys can see me, which is so fun. And I'm just really thrilled to have you here. I'm really also very excited about my guest today. And her name is Regina Boyd. Hi, Regina. Hi, Elizabeth. How are you? I am so good. It is so good to see you. It's good to see you too. So some of you who have been really longtime listeners of my podcast back when it was audio only may remember Regina. She was on a couple of my episodes a couple of years ago. But as we're transitioning to YouTube, I wanted to bring her back on and kind of rehab a conversation that we had a couple of years ago that's really foundational to a lot of the things that I think about and I use in my work as a therapist and, and in my work with Next Step and couples. And Regina is very much an expert on this particular thing. And then in the future, I hope to have Regina on a couple more episodes to flesh some of this out. But I needed this fundamental foundational episode here on this YouTube channel. So that's what we're chatting about today. This is called The Sound Relationship House by John and Julie Gottman. And Regina, so the Gottman method, actually I'll have her explain some of it too, but the Gottman method is this basically this um, kind of therapeutic framework that counselors, marriage counselors can use, relationship counselors can use. And Regina is actually level two out of three Gottman trained. So she knows much more about the Gottman method than I do, but she's also a fellow marriage and family therapist, a very fellow faithful Catholic, a mama, wife, and I'm so excited to have her on to flesh out this really fundamental concept for people who want to have healthy and happy relationships. So is that a good intro, like quick intro to the Gottmans, Regina? Does that set you up well? Yeah, that's, that's, you did a beautiful job. It was phenomenal. <laughs> Perfect. Remind me and remind my audience, how long have you been in practice? So I have been in practice about going on 12 years now, um, but in private practice, about seven years. Yeah. Okay. And when did you get, when did you like start your Gottman journey in those seven to 12 years? That was about two, two years ago. Yeah, it was okay. when I took my first Gottman course. Um, and it's been pretty phenomenal how it's really changed my approach, my work with couples. Um, it's just really helped uh, narrow things down and help us get to a solution a lot more quickly. So I'm so grateful for their influence and their contribution. Absolutely. I love that because you had this, I learned about them in school. So I started my journey with this Gottman framework. That's so awesome that you had all of this kind of theoretical work you were using with your clients and then you brought in the Gottmans and you were like oh yeah this is great <laughs> you like had the before and after oh yeah well I learned about them in school as well oh, um sweet. but you know actually attending and even when I was in graduate school we had we had the gift of him coming and present to our school so as a Whoa. cohort we got to have him attend so I've been on the Gottman train for oh, for years <laughs> Um, but actually attending his trainings and being trained by them, you know, is a whole nother experience. So, um, so yes, yeah, it's been kind of, he's always kind of been a part of everything in a, in a some way, one way or another. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. Well, for those people who've never heard of the Gottmans before, we're over here kind of gushing about them, but I think we should bring everyone into this conversation. So why don't you go ahead and give us a bit of an intro into who the Gottmans are. And then from there, you can intro this idea of the Sound Relationship House so that we can begin our conversation about this cool topic. But let's start with who the Gottmans are, because other people may not be as excited as we are yet. 
Absolutely. Doctors John and Julie Gottman, they are therapists. And Dr. John Gottman, he did research. He did over 40 years of research with couples where they would actually invite them to this house where couples could stay kind of bed and breakfast style. And it sounds a little weird, but they actually had cameras in this little apartment that couples would stay in that they called it the love lab. Obviously, they weren't invading people's privacy with clothing and things like that, but just wanted to observe how couples interact in the day to day. And what he's been able to do, I mean, this is legit research, peer-reviewed, validated, replicated longitudinal studies where they followed couples over years throughout their marriage. And now they're to the point where he can sit down, observe a couple having a five-minute conversation and predict with over 90% accuracy if that relationship will end in divorce. And so there's these qualities he's been able to find that what is it that leads to divorce and what leads to happy marriages? What do those relationships have in common? So with the whole sound relationship house, and so many ways they created the Gottman Institute, they train therapists in this method, they go around, they share this message of, of hope really for couples. And the sound relationship house is really about um, a foundationally secure relationship. He kind of views it like a house that you have weight-bearing weight walls and levels that each person builds upon to create that strong, sturdy bond. And so he calls this structure the sound relationship house. And he talks about these different levels that build up the house of what you want to create that sound, healthy relationship. Okay, so I love this because John is the researcher and he did, like you said, all of this really intense research. And that's one of the things that as marriage counselors, we really appreciate because so many theories in marriage counseling are based on a clinician's like experience. Like I met with these couples and this is what I saw. So this is what I'm applying. You know, like some of them, there's a lot of research in individual therapy and there's some in marriage therapy, but the Gottmans are unique in that they have so much research-based evidence. Like if you begin your arguments this way, it's likely that they will end this way. You know, like it's just really research-based and I love that. And then this house is kind of like his theory, like his guiding principle, but it's like darling. Like it's really cute. Like I have a picture, like I'm sure Thomas, ooh, <laughs> there it is. I'm sure I can link this somewhere for you yeah. guys, but it's cute. And I appreciate that as a woman, mm -hmm. as a, someone who likes whimsy, like it's just <laughs> darling. Um, and it, it is a very great visual. So can you walk us through? I have it printed out in front of me. I don't know. I didn't warn you that I was going to like test you on them. Maybe you have it memorized by now. <laughs> um, but can you? OK, so the two pillars upon which this house are based on are trust and commitment. And then there are seven yeah. levels. Can you do the seven levels? <laughs> can you tell them what Absolutely. they are? Absolutely. Yeah. In order. Yeah. This is, well, this is what matters. You want is me to list, order. Them, list them off? Can you or... do that? Yes. Yeah, sure. Um, I just wasn't sure if you wanted me to break it down each one or just Ooh, list them off. So <laughs> I want you to break, um, list them and then break them a little. Okay. That sounds good. All right. We'll list them now. So um, the first level is building love maps, sharing fondness and admiration, turning towards um, positive regard or positive sentiment, managing conflict, making life streams come true and creating shared meaning. And then you have the walls of trust and commitment on the sides there. I do have a little cheat sheet though. So. <laughs> I'm so glad you do. I, I was hoping once we got started, I was like, I didn't warn her that I was going to like make her spit them out. <laughs> let me um, pull my house up here and make sure I have it, you know, just in case. Because <laughs> it matters. Like they build on each other, right? So like I could spit out the seven levels, but if I don't spit them out in order, they're not as valuable to couples. So can you break them down? Um, 
So the, the first two and then the middle three and then the top two, which is significant. Can you break those down for everybody? What, like, what do they mean? Yeah, absolutely. So when we're talking about building love maps, it's the most basic level of friendship. So love maps refers to how well you know your spouse or your partner, right? How and how much you feel known by them. So it's almost like think remember the old school maps, think back to paper maps. And they'd have the legend with, you know, elevation and kilometers and measuring and you pull out this map. It's kind of like your own map of your beloved's inner world. How how much do you know about their thoughts, their feelings, their hopes, their aspirations, and their dreams? How detailed is that map? Not only do you know it, but are you able to recall the answers to those questions? And the tricky thing is over time, usually when couples first get together, when they're dating, they're engaged, they're, they have really rock solid love maps. But over time, couples sort of forget to update information as we grow and change and mature. And so this is something you always want to check back in over time is making sure your maps are up to date, like Google Maps style, right? We're driving around and making sure all the roads are updated in our beloved's inner world. Fondness and admiration kind of go in hand with that as you move up to the next level of the house. It's your ability to notice the other person's uh, ability to contribute to the relationship. You notice what they do well and you express that appreciation. It's like a culture of respect Mm -hmm. in the relationship. So you notice them doing something right and you convey it. And I think a lot of times we are very appreciative of the people in our lives, but do we take that extra step to, to vocalize that and to say that? So it's sort of this positive habit of mind that people can build. And then level three, um, I would say these first three are kind of like the friendship quadrant, if you will, of the levels, um, is turning towards bids. What do, we, what do we mean when we talk about bids? Bids are little ways that you try to get the attention of another person in a relationship. So you might be driving down the street and you say, oh my goodness, look at that mailbox or look at the color of that house. Can you believe it? You know, And in that moment, the other person has an opportunity to respond to that bid in one of three ways. They can um, accept the bid, they can affirm it, they can say, oh, wow, you're right. Oh my gosh, I would never paint my house that color, right? They would kind of <laughs> jump into the conversation with you eagerly. They would look and attentively and pay attention. They can ignore the bid altogether. Maybe they're tuning you out. Maybe they're busy, they're reading something. They're just not paying attention. Or they can act aggressively, sort of attack a bit. You know, oh, there you go talking about painting again. You know, we don't have money for this right now. Why do you keep bringing this up? And so all of these things contribute to the friendship and the culture of a relationship, I would say. And kind of why I like to group those together is because we found that when those three levels work really well, then a couple is automatically in the positive perspective. So depending on how love maps turning towards bids and fondness and admiration goes determines whether or not you're just sort of automatically in positive or negative sentiment override level four. Um, So positive, the positive perspective, I like to think of it as rose colored glasses. So you have positive feelings for your beloved, they sort of override any negative feelings that any things that they might do, you don't take the negative things as personally, you sort of give the benefit of the doubt. So if somebody was coming home late from work, you might uh, give them the benefit of the doubt in that situation. You might say, oh, maybe they stopped to get gas. Maybe their boss held them late. So you might be really struggling and trying to figure out how to 
um, keep dinner warm, keep the kids entertained. But it can be really challenging because you're struggling with that. You're wondering how to do that. When we're in a negative perspective, we really um, distort that towards the negative. We don't know about, uh, we, we don't give them that benefit of the doubt. We might say um, that they did this on purpose, that it was intentional. Um, I can't believe they did this to me. They know that I need them home on time for work. I'm dealing with all these kids. How could they do this? So it's sort of like gray colored glasses, a dark cloud over mm. your relationship. And so um, this isn't something we can really do or work ourselves out of. It's something that happens over time um, and just sort of based on wherever the couple is at in their relationship. So it's just sort of something that happens automatically. Should I keep going or <laughs> keep going? Actually, or I had totally mm, keep going and then I'll come back to this like okay. thing that you just said that I is was different than how I was framing positive sentiment override. So okay. yeah, I want to hear about that, but keep going, keep going. <laughs> okay. So managing conflict, that's probably one of my favorite levels because um, I feel like a lot of people are worried about conflict and naturally so. It's, con it's very uncomfortable. It can cause arguments. We don't like to be in arguments with the people we love, but it's also very natural. And I think that the more we can look at conflict as something that has the potential to bond you and develop greater intimacy in your relationship, that really can be a huge game changer. So the people who thrive in their relationships when they're doing conflict they're gentle with one another. They allow the other person to influence them. They're able to self-soothe. They don't really let things escalate too far, you know, beyond the point of repair. Sometimes they use humor. I don't recommend that for everyone, but if that's natural <laughs> to you and your personality, <laughs> right, um, then go for it, right? If, you, if there's a common understanding there, because sometimes humor can sound like sarcasm, but I digress a little bit, <laughs> but if it's natural, go for it. Um, and so what we really want when we're engaging in conflict with our beloved is to look at them with curiosity and view it as the opportunity to greater intimacy. And that makes a huge difference in how we approach problem solving in our relationships. Then when you get to making life dreams come true, um, it's all about the relationship. Do you feel like your relationship is has an atmosphere that sort of encourages each person to talk about their dreams? And does the relationship support you sort of working towards those dreams? How do you feel about, is this a relationship where I can try to run that marathon or, or start my new business or something like that? Um, or is this something where I'm not safe to share? And it kind of ties into shared meaning too, more so about what is the meaning and sense of purpose of our marriage? Right. We know in our faith, our marriage is to obviously be called to heaven, but to be an image of God to the world. And so do we share that shared meaning? Do we have rituals in our home that have to do with connection and spending time together? You know, how do we celebrate holidays together? But also, how do we say goodnight? How do we join prayer time together? And so thriving couples really share those individual goals and life missions with each other. They support their basic roles within the home, within their relationship, and they share those meanings, those symbols um, about what their relationship purpose is. And then trust. Um, everyone knows what trust is. It's, it's all about, will you be there for me when your mother criticizes me? Will you be there for me if I'm sick and bad, if I'm depressed? 
couples really need to know that their beloved's going to be there to keep them physically, mentally, emotionally safe. And commitment is the same as well. You believe that your partner is the best person for you. There's not another person you'd rather be doing this journey with, that you really chose the best person. And you, there's, you just are locked in. You know that regardless of what happens, I wouldn't do this crazy ride with anyone else. And that's really that sense of commitment, which I think a lot of people I find are really committed a lot more than you might think. Um, even though everything can seem like a disaster on the outside sometimes, it all comes down to commitment, I find. I love it. Thanks, you're a trooper. <laughs> so I think it's important to go through all of those because they're all really important. And I think, you know, it's something like positive sentiment override, maybe a, something no one's ever heard about before. The, the listener has never heard about before. They didn't, they don't know what that means. They don't know the implications. Um, and I think too, when you walk through it that clearly, thank you, I think that you can see how they all feed into each other, right? Like a healthy friendship allows for you to engage in conflict in a way that is life-giving, you know, like it doesn't tear you down. I like to say it upholds your dignity, like you can disagree with dignity. Um, but then from there, you have the safety to launch into the future together, to like really build a life together. That is something that's satisfying and beautiful. And I love, so my audience, as you know, are people who are discerning marriage. And I think this is one of those things that is really helpful on the front end. Obviously the Gottmans do so much work and Gottman therapists like yourself do so much work um, around helping couples who are really struggling to figure out where, like why they're struggling, where they went wrong, what are the, the relationship patterns and the habits they've developed that aren't life-giving that aren't working but I also think it's something that's really cool to start on the front end <laughs> like if you know what you're looking for and you know where you're going and you know the things that help like there's all this research out there about what helps you I think that if you know that on the front end you can actually set yourself up for great success is that something that you've seen in any of your work oh absolutely the more you know up front the better right we want to make sure that we are having as many conversations as possible before marriage so that it becomes less of an issue after. And I think a lot of times people believe, well, once we get married, then we'll figure that out. Or mm. or they don't even think about things. They just sort of are living life and enjoying one another's company and don't take the time to have those really important conversations. You know, what would life look like when, if and when we have children, right? What would life look like if one of us wasn't able to work? Or do we both want to work or not, right? And so having those conversations beforehand is going to, help minimize the amount of conflict you'll have after the fact once you <laughs> are in those conversations later on. Doesn't mean there will be no conflict, but it will help, right? right. About, especially as you're discerning about, is this person a good match for me? Absolutely. So you said something um, in your description of the seven levels that's kind of different than I had conceptualized. So I am curious one to learn from you because I'm just interested in it but I also think it's a it's an interesting um it's an interesting point that I think is worth elaborating on so the fourth level the positive perspective positive and negative sentiment override the way that you framed it was that the first three set you up for whether you're going to have this positive sentiment override or this negative sentiment override right whether you're going to be wearing these rose-colored glasses and assume the best in people when negative or neutral things happen or whether you're going to be wearing these like your glasses and they're gray and you're assuming the worst and you just don't give people the benefit of the doubt. 
So I was always thinking about it as something that was like its own individual level and something that you could work to change. So is it something that you've seen? Like, obviously, I I totally see what you're saying of like the foundation sets you up for one or the other. But is it the sort of thing that you think people can notice and work on? Because I see a lot of negative sentiment override. Like, I think that that's one of those things that people do not even realize that they have. And then it's happening and you're you're in this conflict and you're like, why am I... Like, why is my mind going one way or the other? I, I wasn't even realizing it. It just seems like one of those really like bedrock things in a lot of people's relationship that flies under the radar. So I think it's worth expounding on. It's a new idea for a lot of people too. So I'm interested in your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think you can work on it, right? If we're working on those first three levels, then we're sort of working on it in general. But I think bringing awareness is a huge help. So I've had couples tell me before, oh, I I think I was doing that negative sentiment thing you were talking about. (laughs) Like I realized I was doing it. (laughs) And so once you recognize it, that's almost half the battle because then you can catch yourself in the moment and be able to say, okay, I think I'm viewing this in a negative way. Let me see how would I view this if I was going to give the benefit of the doubt or Mm. use my rose colored glasses, how might this be different? So I think it helps people recognize when those patterns come out in their relationship. And I also think I, well, I'm I'm interested in your thoughts on this too. I have seen this positive and negative sentiment override in relationships other than your primary romantic one, like with your mom or your best friend or your siblings or your boss or your coworkers or whoever. I think that it permeates even relationships that have a different level of intimacy. Have you seen that happen? Oh, absolutely. Because really what it's all about is, again, that the feelings we have about the other person. And so when we're in that positive perspective and have positive sentiment, we tend to even view how our relationship started in a very positive way. So even if you're thinking of a best friend or something like that, right? Oh, we met when we were in the third grade and it was just magical. We were in recess. You know, you just have this whole story about how you came together and developed this friendship. And the same can happen if there's tension in the friendship, if there's negative stuff, we might even skew that history or rewrite history in really negative sentiment processes. We might think, oh, well, it wasn't really that great of a friendship when we first met anyway. She never really was my friend from the beginning, something like that. So absolutely, I think I can think it can apply to a lot of relationships. I love it. And it also means that it gives you lots of opportunities to notice it. <laughs> um, like you can think about it in, you know, when you have conflict with your parents or your, like I said, coworkers, friends or whatever, it can kind of give you the listeners, my viewers, listeners, um, opportunities to notice like when it, you know, what relationships and or in what conflict situations am I coming from this positive sentiment or this negative sentiment? Um, okay. So I wanted to talk to you also about the f- the fundamental role that friendship plays in the Gottman's theory. And I think so many people are tempted when you're in the early stages of a relationship where it's so fun, you have all that like that, those yummy cocktail of hormones that make you feel so happy and so in love. And <laughs> and, and it, there's just this um, temptation's too negative of a word. I don't mean it in the negative sense. There's But there's this like temptation, this draw to jump into the really serious, you know, like just the like, oh, let's talk about the really intense things or oh, let's focus on... I don't know, just really more serious things. But the Gottman's research shows that friendship is critically important to the health and happiness of a relationship. So I think my audience in particular can really benefit from some of this um, knowledge that the Gottmans have about the the goodness of the friendship and the foundational element of a friendship. Can you speak to that at all through this lens or through your experience or anything like that? 
Absolutely. I mean, friendship is really the root of commitment, of trust. It's sort of mm. what forms the basis for your intimacy. And, you know, eventually, if and when you get married, more satisfying sexual relationship. I mean, it really permeates every aspect of a relationship. And I think it's funny because a lot of times we don't put our spouse or our future spouse in the best friend category, but really that person should be your best friend. I mean, <laughs> you are they know you better than anyone else. They see you in your weakest moments, your best moments. They're there for everything. And so who else gets to see you in that in that way? Um, and so it's really all about when you think about friendship, that mutual respect, enjoying one another's company, um, again, knowing each other really intimately, the likes, the dislikes, who's that person you don't get along with at work, right? Who's that boss that gives them a hard time? All of those, their, their hopes, their dreams. Um, and when couples do friendship really well, when their friendships are solid, it, honestly, it makes the therapy process a lot easier. It makes problem solving a lot easier. They, they approach conflict more like a team as mm. opposed to this adversarial dynamic of, you know, somebody has to win somebody, you know, um, so I just, it just helps. It just is helpful. So why not try to become better friends, right? I love it. Absolutely. So of these seven, so building love maps, sharing fondness and admiration, turning towards the person, having that positive perspective, managing conflict, making life dreams come true, and creating shared meaning. Of these seven, which one would you say is the most difficult to incorporate? And then is there one that you found is kind of the most natural? I don't know if you can generalize like that, but if you can, I'm curious about your thoughts. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to reflect on this because I think it depends, you know, it depends on what's happening for each individual couple. Every couple's different. You know, for example, if somebody experienced betrayal or infidelity, you know, then trust might be really difficult mm. for them. Or if there's high conflict and criticism, then appreciation might be something that's difficult for them. But I think in general, honestly, I think that positive perspective, the positive sentiment can really be challenging. Uh, anytime a couple's going through a challenging time, it's, it's really hard to see through those rose-colored glasses and give the benefit of the doubt, especially when we've been hurt, um, when things just haven't been going well for some time. It's really, really difficult. Um, one thing that could be a little more natural, I don't know, I think, it, again, depends on the couple. Um, but I think um, some people, de depending on where their strengths lie, that's kind of where I would want to start with them. Some people connect through their dreams. Some people connect mm. through words. Some people might be afraid of being vulnerable. So again, depending on where that couple's unique strengths lie. But I think turning towards bids can really be an easy way to begin to get mm. in touch with emotions, especially if emotions are high and intense and we're trying to avoid conflict, which we should never do, by the way. But if you're in a situation where you're avoiding conflict. <laughs> Spoken like a true um, marriage counselor. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, one easy thing you can do is just start paying attention to, okay, when that person says, oh my gosh, you won't believe this video I just watched or look at these cute cats or talking about the game or something paying attention to, oh, this is an opportunity for me to respond positively to a bid, even if it's a topic that I could care less about and I'm not interested in at all. <laughs> and hopefully over time, that was something that could build into something that comes more naturally. But I think it's an easy place to start anyway. Ooh, I love that. 
Oh, thank you so much for having this conversation. I have one last question for you. So I really love to give my listeners one practical thing that they can do. They can take away from this episode. Maybe they're driving to work. Maybe they're on their lunch break. Maybe they're on a run or something. They're doing dishes. I don't know. And they can turn this off and then they can take one thing and apply it to their life that puts them one step farther on their journey of discerning marriage. So from this conversation, this idea of the sound relationship house and the Gottman's kind of fundamental genius, what do you think is one practical tip that my listeners could take away and implement into their life right away? So I think accepting influence, I kind of gla- glossed over this one before, but it goes it goes under the handling conflict category. And accepting influences means being open and receptive to that other person, to the person God has called you to be with potentially, um, to understand that both of you bring strengths to the relationship, that 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 other person who's to be your helpmate, right, can see your blind spots and is a complimentary part to you in a sense, right? They, they complement those areas that need refining. And so when we allow ourselves to be influenced, that leads to a happier relationship. So you want to pay attention, one, to how much you allow that other person to have a say in what you can do, like, what are we doing this weekend? Or should we go on this trip together or not? Or should I take this job or not? And you also want to pay attention to how much they allow you to have a say. <laughs> um, it can't be perfectly even all the time. But, you know, if as long as you're happy and feel respected and valued throughout those discussions, I think that's really important to pay attention to as you're discerning. And then I would also say the bids again, I'd go back to that, you know, being attentive to the call for love, right? We're being being like Eli saying, here I am, Lord. In those moments when your beloved comes and rather than ignoring them and just kind of being stuck in our own world, we can we can answer that call in our own relationships to say, here I am, you know, on that practical level at first until it becomes natural. So I think those are really two accepting influence and turning towards those bids can be really helpful as you discern. So put down your phone. That's what I heard you say. <laughs> put down your phone <laughs> when they're talking to you and listen to them <laughs> and like, engage with them. It's kind of what I what I heard underneath. Yeah. <laughs> Put down the phone, turn on, turn off the game, you know, turn off the video game. <laughs> um, there's so many, so many things. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. I love it. Okay. The last thing that I want to say, just kind of like as a wrap up. Um, so we've established Regina and I are both Catholics. We both love Christ in the church. We both work really hard to integrate our lives and our work um, with them. And I really just want to caveat and say the Gottmans are not Catholic and they're not coming from a Catholic standpoint. So those of you who've never heard of them before, um, who go out and start researching, maybe you get on their website, maybe you read books. Regina and I both want to say, and I'll let you speak to it in a second, but both of us want to say, this is one of those instances where you can use what I affectionately call your Catholic colander. You know, the thing you use to like strain noodles. So like you have to dump the whole pot of water and noodles into this colander and shake, 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 get all the water out. And then you're left with this nutritious food that can nourish you, right? And that's what we want you to, to encourage you to do with the Gottman. So not everything that they say is in line with our faith. Not everything that they say is something that Regina and I would endorse, but there's so, there's so many noodles. There's so many noodles and what they have to say. We can use Jesus's analogy of wheat and weeds. Also, that's also a good one, but I (laughs) really like to say the word noodles. It's funny. So anyway, so that I just, we want to say that And Regina, do you want to speak to that at all? But as we sign off with people who maybe have never heard of the Gottmans and are really intrigued now, any thoughts? 
Yeah, yeah, I agree with you 100%. There's so many good things there that we can glean and take, take, you know, they're very huge fans of monogamy. Again, through the research, they are just very scientific oriented. And so a lot of the truth of what we believe comes out through the research. Um, but of course, you might find some things in there that don't always line up. But um, there's a lot of beautiful golden nuggets in there as well. So <laughs> I think that's what I love so much about them is that they're not Catholic. So and the fact that so much of their stuff aligns with what we know to be true, either through divine revelation or through our trust in the magisterium and what the church has had to say over time, it's proven in the Gottman's like basically secular research. <laughs> and it's just so satisfying to me that they're like, yeah, we want you to stay married and yeah, we want you to be happy and here are ways to accomplish that and monogamy is good for you. You know, there's just all this stuff. It's one of the reasons I love them so much because all their research or a vast majority of their research affirms a lot of the things that as Catholics we know to be true through Christ. Anyway, I get really excited. I love that you made that particular point. Yeah, no, I think that's, I get excited for the same reason. So yeah, you're so right. <laughs> awesome. Well, Regina, you are such a joy. I love talking to you. You have this beautiful peacefulness about you. All of your clients are so blessed to get to have your soft place to land. And I'm just so grateful that you were willing to take the time to come talk to my listeners. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your expertise. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun. You are welcome. And I would love to have you back on because there's so much here with the Gottmans that I think is beneficial. And you're my favorite person to talk about the Gottmans with. So hopefully this is the last that my viewers see of you. And I will go ahead and put um, any of the stuff that you want me to put with, with how to find you on whatever we do. Do we use show notes on YouTube? This is where I... What is it called? The description. The description. This is, listen, he told me he wasn't going to edit anything. So now you guys get to see all this awkward stuff about me. <laughs> okay. Description. So I will put ways to find Regina. For those of you who are like, yes, I will put her contact stuff in the description. I'm going to stop before I say any more awkward things. Regina, you're a joy. Thank you so much. God bless you. I'll talk Thank to you later. You. <laughs> and all of my listeners, stay close to the heart of Jesus and be not afraid. Mm -hmm.